everybody, and welcome to the Ribosome Podcast. My name is Luke Roberts, and today we're speaking with Dr. Catherine Lepec, a professor at the University of Bonn in Germany. Catherine, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, uh, no, no problem at all. I've been looking forward to getting you on here for a while, and I'm glad we finally made it work. Um, I'd just like to ask, you know, the first thing we seem to ask everybody, and especially because you've had quite a big change during this pandemic, how has your life been during this global pandemic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a great question. I mean, for me, it was a bit of a special situation because I moved continents mm-hmm. um, to the other side of the world, uh, back to Europe, and I started a lab um, in the middle of the pandemic. And that's, for sh- I mean, it's always a challenge, but I mean, this is for sure something that adds to the complications of mm-hmm. uh, getting the science up and running again. Um, and yeah, so I mean, and, and, and every, like all other complications in terms of doing science uh, in a lab has kind of affected us um, worldwide. So the, the only exception in our case was that we, we were able to do a COVID-related um, mRNA vaccine project. And so we were basically constantly in, in, in lab. So we were not um, excluded from doing lab work. Okay. Well, that's kind of nice because, yeah, I, I know a number of people were sort of locked out just for, for public health measures. And so it's nice that you could mm-hmm. sort of have some time in the lab and not have your first initial months be, hey, I guess we're all going to write a review because um, <laughs> we can't mm-hmm. go into the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so since since you brought it up, I, I'd love to actually touch on a little bit more. Um, you just uh, finished up to postdoc um, at Stanford. And um, you just started a new PI position. And I was interested if there was anything that sort of drew you to um, Europe uh, as a continent or any specific country in Europe, or if you just had sent out a bunch of feelers to a bunch of different places and this were the only, these were the only people that got back to you, you know, <laughs> uh, not, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, no, exactly. So this, this is a great point. I mean, for me, um, I was just ready to be on the job market in 2020. So this was just that COVID time just happened to be the COVID year. Mm -hmm. And so it was definitely a bit unusual. So I actually looked at the, the, the numbers for you. So I actually did 125 applications, which is a crazy, insane N. Um, and, um, I did like 12 pre interviews, 20 full interviews, but everything was on zoom. So it was like days of just sitting and, um, 12 hours of Zoom meetings. Um, I, I think I've met maybe like 250 different scientists all over the world. So that was pretty amazing uh, in that wow. time. And it was basically, um, so for me, it was a bit, um, I mean, I did the, the US and the European cycles. So I did interviews basically from October to May. So eight months of just Zoom interviews and then a couple of in-person interviews that were possible. Mm-hmm. And, and a month of negotiation and then started in, in January this year. So it was, it was kind of a, a long phase of, of like in the middle of COVID, but really starting with applications in September to maybe February, January, February. Um, and the European cycle is a bit off from the US. Mm-hmm. So that makes it also a little bit more complicated. Um, but yeah, so, so you were able to kind of do a lot more interviews, I guess, because it was Zoom without right. the travel, but but um, the in-person interviews are really also now getting getting to to see people again in, in real life is is so much better for uh, for just scientific interactions too. But it was definitely 
um, clear to me that I'm going to do this one year of job cycle. Um, and, and it just happened to be the first year of zoom interviews yeah. and, and here we are. And so in the end I got, um, the second part of your question. So I had like three solid offers and two that were kind of not, not clear yet. Um, and it was, it was very important to me to, to actually aim to go back to Germany where I'm come, I come from mm -hmm. and particularly Bonn, um, and, um, is is really good at immunology so what i'm i'm doing now is is really a combination of what i've been interested in as a as a phd student and what i've been doing as a postdoc and so bonn is really like the, among the top two in, in germany when it comes to to um innate immunology and so that, that was definitely part of the decision and um yeah so and on top of that of course like um for family reasons and just like of course in terms of perspective uh that really also came with the, the COVID pandemic is really to to you know being in the, on the west coast versus being closer to home was really important no yeah and that's yeah that's something that i think i mean something i hadn't considered is obviously yeah like and i i felt it as well as you sort of had a a stronger family things sort of got your priorities sort of got shifted around a lot because you would be like i'll see my family you know like we talk mm -hmm. we see each other and then you would go such a long time in either isolation or out seeing somebody and you would go wow like i i should really i should really see these people more often right like this is important to me mm -hmm. and so i i like that mm -hmm. as a deciding factor um for going you know to back to the oh Germany. yeah for sure i think right i think this is this doesn't not just apply to science but i think just because the mobility and flexibility and signs that you just um, are just supposed to move far away from where you come from um, just kind of shifted in kind of priority in terms of what's really what really matters and part of that is really trying to do I mean it is it is tough to to get a job close to home of course but it's if you get the, the chance I think that that is still something that uh, is very valuable especially in these times Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, as somebody who did my graduate school at the same place I did my undergrad, which is also the town I grew up in, I mm -hmm. most of my decision making was based on I had a family here, I had a wife with a job, I had a child here who had grandparents here, and so there was a lot of this is going to have to be an incredible opportunity for me to take that all away, um, especially mm -hmm. from you know like my my son who gets to spend and he's at his grandma's right now. And so uh, it's, yeah, exactly. It, it, for those reasons. Yeah, I mean, yeah. exactly. I mean, for me, I mean, kind of on a more personal level, I, I mean, I'm a triplet on the one hand, but on the other hand, I lost my father in the middle of my postdoc. So oh. that also kind of shifts the, the perspective of what's important and, mm -hmm. and just trying to see, like, spend as much time uh, with family it just, just became even more important. No. No, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm glad that it's, you know, mm -hmm. if, if anything, the silver lining you've identified now, you say, okay, here's, here's where I need to mm -hmm. be spending some more time. And since you sort of brought it up, but I know a lot of people are, you know, want to be PIs. Have you noticed, and then obviously this is going to be a yes, but I guess I'm looking for specific examples. Um, are there, what are the largest differences between um, sort of the academia in North America and the academia in Europe? And, you know, obviously it would, it would vary country to country, whereas North America seems a little more homogenous um, in terms of, you know, mm -hmm. academia. Is, is, is there anything sort of that was sort of shocking or anything that you identified? And how could, I guess, 
people who are looking to make the sort of same transition that you make, you know, apply? I, I, I guess what could they do to make themselves more appealing in the U.S. versus making themselves more appealing in Europe? Did you find you altered your applications mm -hmm. based on the country? Oh, um, I didn't really al alter the application as such. Like my research ideas would have been the same mm -hmm. uh, there or here. But um, I think what I didn't appreciate as a student um, doing my PhD in, in Heidelberg is, uh, and then doing the postdoc at Stanford, that I knew that the scientific uh, culture is very different. So from the, just having seen these two, two places, um, but then I think coming back as a PI and having that transition from postdoc to PI is yet another uh, different level of how the systems really differ. Mm -hmm. So overall, I mean, I'm now four or five months into having a lab, so I'm just also still figuring out how things work. Yeah. But uh, it is um, for sure a more um, team and collaboration driven atmosphere here, just because you have a lot of uh, so like consortia grants where maybe 50 PIs or, or, or 20 PIs are writing a grant together for a long time that can be up to 12 years. Okay. So it's it's a much more um, collaborative aspect, I feel. I mean, there is, of course, there's collaboration in the US, but it's already built into the grant system of how the money is, is um, kind of spent and split over different universities and, and people that work on similar um, topics in one place and that is actually really helpful especially for somebody who starts out new so you don't feel as like you have to make it on your own in a way uh because there is intrinsic built-in support systems that are uh you know that that help you in a way to get started okay. and get off the ground um and it's not as super competitive i would also say honestly like the, compared to like the nih grants in terms of what funding um possibilities and funding kind of cutoffs are in place here hmm. yeah okay yeah that's interesting and i think that's i think that's a good thing actually and obviously you've identified it as mm -hmm. a good thing as well um not that i think that's a hot take for me but i think that's very you know intuitive and it should be part of research that you know like if you're starting out a new lab like having these large sort of consortiums that you can sort of you, i don't know i use the phrase glom onto, but sort of you know use mm -hmm. and leverage the resources to start up a new lab so you're not just standing in an empty room going oh i need a centrifuge you know and i i need some people right, to right. talk and to that, yeah. yes exactly and that's exactly what happened to me so i'm already in one of these um, bigger consortiums i'm in one excellence cluster i have phd students funded through that and i basically just came into a, a, a furnished lab that was running and i was able to use machines so we're already doing experiments and that is for sure something especially in the COVID times mm -hmm. um really helpful to just get started um and and so yeah so it's just I kind of it's a, bit, it's a bit more different in terms of just culture of of um, um having shared lab space versus your own own lab okay interesting and since since we were talking about it a little bit I, I just like obviously you do a lot of RNA work this is an RNA sort of central podcast um you did work on ribosome heterogeneity. You did some mRNA work that you were mentioning. Um, what are sort of the topics that you've taken from, um, well, maybe your postdoc, from your PhD, and what, and what are you uh, bringing into your, I guess, what is your lab working on now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a great question. So I, I've been in RNA science since my undergrad. So I started working on planned riboswitches hmm. for my bachelor thesis and then also at Berkeley for a bit. And then 
came back to Heidelberg and, and worked on um, small RNA structures in the three prime UTR in immune um, relevant genes, so in TNF alpha folks. And we started out with TNF, but we found hundreds of uh, immune rele relevant genes that um, also contain these small structures that are bound by an RNA binding protein family called proquins that then mediate their uh, decay and mm -hmm. to prevent kind of overshoot of these factors. But we also found hundreds of developmental regulators in that set. And that is actually the reason what got me excited about going into the developmental biology angle um, and, and joining Maria Barna's lab. And um, I mean, Maria is, is really kind of the person that coined the term of specialized ribosomes yep. and heterogeneity and how much, you know, the ribosome is not always the same, but it, it does have different functions and specialized functions depending on its components and so far it's really been the the focus on what ribosomal proteins so rps are contributing to to that and and how this is really tissue specifically regulated so so this is really um where where the field is also going to really look at this in an organismal setting um and 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 really seeing what the physiological consequences of these are but really what what i found and what what fascinated me during my postdoc is really that besides the protein aspect there's also ribosomal rna that can contribute to kind of really more selective translation and this is something that that we're continuing to do here is is really tr combining the um the angle of innate immunology and really how immune cells like macrophages are um, really highly specialized cell types that um, use specific translation programs, including really ribosome-centered mechanisms to, to really respond fast to stimulation. And, um, and, and so this is just an, an area that has been understudied and, and that we are kind of filling this niche and I'm really excited about this kind of interface between ribosome biology and innate immunology, especially in the environment that I'm in. And that kind of combines, you know, my, my interests from the, the PhD and postdoc perfectly. So I'm, I'm really excited. We are already getting started and, um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm learning a new language basically with <laughs> the immunology around me. So it's, it's very exciting. Yeah, I remember I did a, a brief stint in an immunology lab at the University of Calgary as an undergrad one summer. And I remember, you know, having only worked with bacteria before being like, oh, I have so many things to learn and I'm Googling a hundred words a day mm -hmm. and, you know, all these different things. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's very exciting. And I'm glad you find sort of a, a, a way to merge your passions, you know, in, into one sort of lab to really get at some interesting questions, because I think you know, and obviously this isn't, I'm not an original thought for myself, but, you know, the idea that these things are not the same everywhere. Ribosomes in a skin mm -hmm. cell are different from ribosomes in your brain tissue, right? And that is how things are regulated yeah. is, is extremely interesting and something that, you know, before it was sort of brought up, I had never even really considered. And you go, oh, mm -hmm. interesting. Like everything is layers upon layers upon layers, and then there's modifications and all this other stuff. And so... Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And, and I mean, I think what, what really kind of enables us to do this now is really technological advances. Mm -hmm. So, so we're, we're using yeast, but, but also combining this with like macrophages to, to really get at the question of what these, what these specific RNA regions that are called expansion segments that are kind of these tentacles that sit outside on the outer shell of the ribosome are actually doing and how they're selecting mRNAs for specific translation. And so, 
there's on the one hand yes it was it was a kind of a technological advance it was needed to even be able to do that and we're still needing more of that so we're still doing a lot of tool development in that direction but the other aspect was that with cryom you can do a lot these right. days and and or also there it was just like whatever is floppy you don't see and these interactions just happen on the very outside of the ribosome and so we were very lucky that we were able to see kind of a stabilized um, interaction between two RNAs and so really RNA, RNA interactions um, that led us to what we studied then for the last couple of years so so this is um, just also very important that like the biological questions, the really important questions really need to go along with tool development to be actually able to answer them. And that's also always something that that we now use and apply to kind of the immunology, uh, immunology questions that we have. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I think you're right there. And, and this has come up before in, in some other interviews we've done, specifically uh, with Dr. Ryan Flynn, who did the, the, the glyco-RNAs. Mm -hmm. And... I asked, you know, mm -hmm. him, what's the biggest barrier to your research? And he said, the tools to look at these things haven't been invented. And I was like, okay. Yes. And so you have to develop. I'm right there with yeah. Ryan. <laughs> you got to develop them first. And then you can be like, oh, wow, there's so many interesting things, but I have no way of checking them. And so, um, yeah, it, it seems mm -hmm. that, you know, as much as we like to pat ourselves on the back as we come up with these excellent, you know, like CRISPR and all these cool technologies, there's just a continual need for innovation in that space as we discover things are far more complicated than, you know, we even thought they're complicated now, but apparently we're scratching a surface. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. And so now that you've been running a lab and now that you've started a lab, do you have any advice on, I guess, identifying red flags? And by that, what I'm really asking is when you're doing these applications, whether it be if you're starting a postdoc or if you're, you know, picking a PhD lab or even you're picking a place once you have three offers um, from institutions mm -hmm. to be run a lab, what are th were there was anything you sort of noticed that you said, oh, like this sort of is rubbing me the wrong way? Like I, I'm not entirely sure why, but this seems, you know, like an indication that things mm -hmm. may not be exactly as they seem, whether it's in the lab culture, in the research that's being conducted. Is, is there was there anything that you found that was helped you sort of navigate the correct path for yourself because obviously this would be different for everybody but was there anything mm -hmm. that you could identify i guess for people who are going to follow your footsteps um and give them some advice on what to look out for and maybe what to look for right no this is super important and, and this cannot be emphasized enough that finding it the best mentor for you and that fits to yours kind of like personality and way of how you do science is super important. So, um, I mean, I was always lucky with the mentors that I had. Uh, I don't know if I picked them well or if that was just by chance, but it was really, a, um, so far when I thought I made good decision, it was mostly based on the initial gut feeling. I mean, this, <laughs> as uh, funny as it is, but it's, it's really, um, the initial impression is really important. Um, but then I think what's, what's most important for me in science is kind of the, the creativity mm -hmm. aspect of it and then if you can work with someone who really appreciates kind of your view onto science like that your voice in science is heard and that your own ideas can be tested that you can also do some crazy things that you just you don't know if they're risky things that you don't know would work out and and get the support for that so that is very important so i think the combination of is this a topic that you can be seeing yourself doing for years and is this a person you can 
interact on a daily basis like this combination because lab lab atmosphere is also very important but it can change over time so much that i think your two constants is your mentor and um your 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 interest in in the topic um because the mentor is not just for the time that you're in as a student or a postdoc but i'm still relying on my mentors now right. so it's it's a, it's more like a lifelong commitment what? so um yeah so i think that's important um for jobs i think for at the, at the pi level the reality is that there's oftentimes just not you don't really have the choice often to pick the place uh, where you, where you really want to be mm -hmm. but what i've heard from um from a lot of my mentors is really that sometimes you think a place is amazing um and then you go there and you're and it's not and sometimes you think oh this place i'm like, okay i'm gonna just do the interview and uh, and it turns out to be the most amazing place so it, i would also recommend you just being open about um not just what you heard about a place or how how what impression you have from the outside but really kind of talk to the people see how they they interact how collaborative they are and if you could see yourself fitting in there but because most of the time it's about fit it's not about you or um, uh, it's more like, do, do they see you as a colleague and, right. and does the science fit? And, and then it's a lot of that is luck. Is, it, is that now in the country that you want to be in? Um, because, yeah, I mean, the job cycle, a job market is just brutal. Even for somebody who's just as ridiculously like um, privileged as I am. So this is, this is, yeah, it's just the reality of today's job market um and um yeah a lot of it is luck and just that that things just have to line up for you but what you can control is really the, the how how well you are prepared so as i said before i didn't adjust any of my my research aims but i i did have put in a lot of time to work with my peer group um hmm. to help me shape the the project so i i was lucky that i had a lot of great colleagues that i knew from the fellowship, so like from the Envo um, fellowship retreat or the Endame Runyon retreats. And these were people that had been through this one or two years before me. And that was the best input that I got, even from people that are outside my field, but could really judge how how exciting these ideas are that I um, that I came up with. And and so that is also something, not just your your mentors in terms of um, your PhD and, and postdoc mentors, but also your kind of appreciate the people that can kind of in your in your peer group that can appreciate your science and, and can give you really honest and, and brutal feedback yeah. <laughs> that is very very valuable um and yeah overall i think what i from from what i'm learning now as a pi and the transition from postdoc to pi is really that it really needs a lot of different skills that it's actually really hard to prepare as a postdoc for because you're so focused on your project. So I'm finding myself really needing a lot of people management skills yep. that you're learning on the job. And, and uh, yeah, so that is, that is maybe the, the most unexpected part is that you're not using a lot of the skills that, um, that you've been trained for a decade before, but it's really learning really, new aspects of how to do science and how to manage science more than actually executing it. Right. And I, I think the same thing sort of goes anywhere. So even if you go to industry, they find if you're good enough at science, you end up not doing it. You end up being the person mm -hmm. who oversees it and you manage a team. And so you go, well, I was so good at this. And they go, yeah, you were so good. We want you not to do it anymore. We'd like you to manage people and help them do it. Yeah. 
So no, that that's great. I, I appreciate exactly. appreciate the honest the honest feedback, and um, I think yeah, identifying people who can have been through it already is probably one of the best things you could do because they'll have the best information. Yeah, for yeah, and I mean maybe to add to that, one more thing is is that it's just that what I've um, learned the most is always when I put myself in a completely new field. Mm -hmm. So I came from plants, I went to immunology, from immunology I went to dev bio, and I worked on model systems from plant, yeast, mouse, um, macrophages, ESLs, um, bacteria. So every time you put yourself in a new scientific environment, but also lab environment, that's where you kind of grow the most. So hmm. the ideas come, yeah. Okay, great. I'd like to always ask people, um sort of the one common question just to sort of humanize everybody because it's easy for everybody deals with imposter syndrome at, at some level and so I like to ask people especially people who have gotten these PI jobs to sort of talk a little bit about failure and if they're comfortable sharing um, a personal failure a scientific failure and some sort of way that they were able to deal with that and not have it be you know soul crushing um, and so it, it, if yeah, you've no. got anything mm -hmm. we'd love to hear it yeah I mean this is and everybody, no matter how good you think you are, this just happens and it's part of science. So if you're not failing, then you're not asking the hard enough questions. So this is just built in. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I'm someone who always encouraged people to just do it. So I'm, I mean, in the Barna Lab, I was always known for just telling people to just do it yeah. because uh, you, it's easy to just be kind of too scared to some to start something to be too scared of the outcome or to that it will fail mm -hmm. um but then you know right that's how you know like, okay then it just didn't work out and i mean for me i mean one thing um that in the end i could again like turn into something good is is that for one of the projects that i'm still kind of finishing up is kind of the last project from the barna lab for me is something that we screened um in uh, the yeast genome for and we thought we were looking for something else and it was just the hypothesis changed hmm. um and in the end we learned about um your translation but we we didn't um we didn't start out to to ask that question and it we came up with a different kind of new biology <laughs> Interesting. that uh we didn't look for but at the time it sounded like okay um when we we realized that um it was also important to not just you know, stop at that point, but like think about uh, what else can we kind of answer with this? What else does does this give us in terms of new biology? And um, and and that's kind of where we ha always have to kind of um, step step aside and really look at it um, and see if like what you think failed might be actually giving you something different that you didn't look for, and that might be actually more exciting than what you actually asked initially. Um, and so, so for me, the, the kind of, that is kind of when knowledge is created. So that, that's always what kind of drives me too. like, you, you remember the, the moments, the good and the bad, where you either had a extremely failed experiment, but also the moments where you, you are the one person in the world that knows something that nobody else, even your PI doesn't know. And that is just the most amazing feeling. Um, and I do remember that from both the PhD and postdoc, where I was the only person that saw the blood and it was like, okay, this is the mechanism. So this is something that just, that's, that's why it's worth it. I feel like yeah. for these kinds of moments. And, um, I mean, and, and yes, you have to bounce back from failure. I mean, the, it, you're gonna fail. It's just, it's just built in and, and it's more about like persisting and just kind of 
keep going um, and really realizing that uh, you need to take breaks because it is a marathon yep. and uh, there are science is a very kind of um, up and down cycle of when you have to be really pushing for a paper or a revision, but then really realizing that there's also times where you, you can afford to really slow down and, and, and think about things and reflect. And that is something that um, I'm trying to also build into my lab culture here is that it's okay to have like a bit of balance to, to the work and it's really realizing that it's a marathon and not a sprint. Um, and, and then that gives you kind of the mental space to really deeply think about things and be creative. Like you need to be, you need to have that to be able to creative, to be creative. And, um, yeah, but I think just embrace failure. I think being afraid of it is, is the wrong attitude. Um, and it does happen to yeah. the best of us. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, no choice, but yeah. to embrace it, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. No, and I think that's great. And I, I like that you touched on um, having some sort of work-life balance into your lab culture. And so if people are looking to join your lab, I'm not sure if you're recruiting. I imagine you are. Um, how would they get in mm -hmm. contact with you? Is Twitter the best way? Oh. Your email? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I am, of course, I'm looking for, for a lot of people actually right now. We just hired a technician. I have a master's student. I have four PhDs positions that I'm filling over the year. So if anybody who listens to this and is excited about the ribosome and, and RNA techniques, uh, they should reach out to me. Yeah. I am, I still don't have a website. I'm working on that, but I, I do have, uh, yeah, you'll find my, my email, uh, my Twitter, LinkedIn, um, all of these things, um, on the web. Uh, yeah. And I, I think, you know, long-term, this is kind of the goal, immediate goal for me now is to just slowly build, uh, the lab, the way that I, I kind of, uh, know and, 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 and liked, uh, and, and appreciated kind of the lab atmospheres that I've been in as a student and postdoc and and really trying to get the first experiments off the ground we're doing the first collaborations on site um and also for me honestly after years being in the us i i need to get back into connecting with the european scientific community yeah. so i'm trying to to travel more visit universities now that i mean i'm lucky that this year things are ramping up again that have been shut down for two years so there's actually conferences to be to be able to go to. Um, and so I'm doing that. And, but the overall goal is, is really to build a nice team where we work together as a team. And what I've really learned from this Stanford mRNA vaccine project is really that team aspect and, and how much you can achieve in a short time if, if it's really a, a real team effort. Um, and, and yeah, so, and then just really aspire to what I've seen as, as my mentors and how they they have guided me along the way that I can be that for, for other people. Um, yeah. All right. So yeah, thanks. It sounds like you're going to be building quite a team. And I think if everybody is, has an interest in ribosomes or an RNA, they should definitely consider working in the LePec lab. And so, you know, Germany is also very nice and you've heard about how wonderfully collaborative it is. And so I think, you know, to not consider it would be foolish. And so um, I'd like to thank you, Catherine, for your time. Um, it was super informative for myself. I hope everybody else enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you have any final words, we'd love to hear them. And, you know, I mean, I guess one final thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I mean, this was really nice. And, and as you said, like, if, if people are excited about ribosome biology, um, we are now like really building a small team that's international and inclusive. And I, I really want 
um, uh, to build like a really good team that that establishes this topic here in in Germany. And and yeah, if people that are excited, please contact me. And I, I hope you can take a little bit from my experience and what I've been through um, and apply this to your own career. Um, and I mean, sci scientific careers are very subjective, but like some things um, in terms of advice are always uh, hopefully a bit useful for, for the listeners. Yeah, so thanks again for having me. No, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Catherine. Dr. Catherine Lepec is a professor at the University of Bonn. If you have any comments or suggestions, write to us. Our email is theribezonepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at theribezonepodcast. If you're interested in connecting with a larger RNA community, feel free to join our Discord server. This show is produced by Liana Boros, Simon Hoser, Malkozata Rozelska, and myself, Luke Roberts. Thanks so much for joining us. Keep your bench clean and your RNA pure. Thank you.